there's a, a really good chance that you suffer from glossophobia. There's a really good chance you suffer from glossophobia. What is glossophobia? It's a technical name for the fear of speaking in public. Public speaking, according to many surveys, is one of the most common fears in the world. Over 75% of the people surveyed have a dread of standing in front of people and speaking. Now, there are myriad classes and books and articles and YouTube clips Uh, that you can watch and read and digest that will help you to try to overcome a fear of public speaking. Uh, Those of you who are headed off to college soon, there are classes in college, even in high school now, that are public speaking classes to help improve overcoming that fear. The reason, of course, is that our society, our world, places a premium on being able to clearly and without fear communicate by speaking publicly. But there's actually, according to Luke chapter 8, something that's far more important than speaking. It's called hearing. Have you ever taken a class on public hearing? Have you ever read a book on how to be a better listener? If you ever watched a YouTube clip devoted to making you the best listener you can be? Well, listen, as a, as a Christian, we ought to be marked by a desire to be quick to listen, as James commands us, especially when God is talking. Listening to God is of ultimate importance For the Christian, when we read this book, when we open God's word, God speaks to us through his word and a failure to listen to God in his word can have everlasting consequences. Now, we've been looking at the gospel according to Luke. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open or flip or swipe to Luke chapter eight. You'll find this on page 864 in the Pew Bible. If you're not used to reading a Bible, you can open up to 864. We're looking at the big number eight, and then the little sentence numbers are the verse numbers. We're going to begin there in verse one. And as you're turning there, you remember where we are in our study of Luke's gospel. Jesus has been proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in and around Judea. And we've noticed a rising opposition from the religious leaders in Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, in spite of this opposition, we've noticed that large crowds of people continue to come out to listen to Jesus. And in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom, and he's going to give this crowd a sermon that many of them would never forget. What separates those who reject Jesus from those who receive him? Luke 8 tells us it has everything to do with how one listens to his word. So let's begin. We're going to look at verses 1 to 15 this morning. And we're going to find in this passage 
Time and time again, Jesus uses the word hear or listen. Because in this passage, he's going to teach us how we must listen to God's word. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that and the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. In this passage, Jesus is giving each one of us a hearing test. And in this passage, Jesus summons you and me to take care how we hear his word. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to simply two things. The first is this. Jesus tells us in these first three verses that we must listen to his word faithfully. And secondly, in verses 4 to 15, you must listen to his word persistently. Faithfully and persistently. Lord willing, the next time we'll look at how we're supposed to listen to it carefully and obediently. But this morning, just two points. And my prayer is that each one of us 
will hear and heed God's holy word. Number one, listen to God's word faithfully. You'll see right there in verse one, Luke eight begins with Jesus continuing to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. He's going throughout the towns and villages, heralding the arrival of God's kingdom because he is the promised king. The gospel of the kingdom is drawing near in and through Jesus Christ, the king. Now, you'll notice as we've gone through Luke's gospel, Jesus prioritized preaching. He does many things in the gospels, right? He heals He gives sight to the blind. He raises the dead. He does all kinds of things. John's gospel says that if everything were written down that Jesus did and said, we wouldn't have room in the world for all the books that could be written. But Luke is constantly emphasizing the priority of preaching. At his first sermon in Luke chapter 4, Jesus in fulfillment of what the prophets had written concerning the Messiah said about himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's preaching And on this preaching tour, Luke tells us that the 12, that is the 12 disciples, were with Jesus. Did you notice that? But then Luke turns our attention in verse 2 to another group of people who were also with Jesus and who followed him on this preaching tour. Did you notice? Jesus is joined on this tour, as it were, with several women who were also with him. Luke tells us Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna, and then notice that phrase, and many others, many others. Now, more than any other of the gospel writers, Luke emphasizes Jesus's ministry to women. More than Mark and more than Matthew, he highlights not only his ministry to men, but also his ministry to women. We're told that Jesus had healed these women. He had clearly ministered the word of God to them, and they responded to him by listening to him, by believing him, by trusting in him, and by following him, by being near to him. Now, think about this. Right after Luke 7, with that, that amazing passage about the, the sinful woman who trusted in Christ and who responded by lavishly loving him at that dinner party by washing his feet and by anointing his feet. We have this description of these women who followed Jesus faithfully. And you see what Luke tells us? They supported that ministry. Did you notice that? Out of their own means. Do you see that? Just like the woman in the previous chapter they're sacrificing their, 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 their goods, their, 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 their money, whatever they have to support this preaching ministry that Jesus is carrying on. The point that Luke is making and the point that he teases out through the rest of his gospel is this. These women are faithful listeners to Christ's word. 
They are seeking to spread that word to others through the ministry of Jesus. They want the same gospel word that came to them to go out to others. And just as an aside, that's a good sign that you're listening to God's word. If you listen to God's word and you just want to hoard it for yourself, you may not actually be listening. But if you hear God's word and are so struck by his grace and glory that you want to spread his word and support the spread of his word, that's a good sign that you're listening rightly. Luke holds up these women as exemplary disciples of Jesus. Now, one of the common criticisms that you'll hear uh, from those who oppose Christianity is that it's inherently misogynistic. Maybe you've heard that criticism before. Uh, We can think of many, many men who claim to be followers of Christ who have horribly mistreated women. But that's not what we see from the Savior in Luke chapter 8 or throughout Luke's gospel. That's not the way the Savior treats women. What we see in this gospel is that even though rabbis in Jesus' day would not teach women at all, Jesus teaches women constantly. Jesus isn't your average rabbi, is he? And so Luke wants to highlight Jesus' ministry to women and even the fact that they ministered to to him with the, the means that they had to support his ministry. Now, you might be thinking, okay, big deal. Luke moves on. Why isn't the pastor moving on? Well, I want you to think about this for a minute. This isn't the only time these women show up in Luke's gospel. The reason I'm putting so much emphasis on this little few verses is the way Luke finishes his gospel. It's just as an aside, it's really good to read the whole gospel. Before you understand any part of it, you want to know what the whole gospel is saying. Luke tells us later on that these women, these faithful women from Galilee, who listened faithfully to Christ's words, they continued following him throughout his public ministry in and around Judea. They followed him all the way to Jerusalem. They followed him even when the twelve abandoned him. We're told that they followed him all the way to the cross. When Jesus was betrayed and abandoned and arrested and crucified, the twelve, where'd they go? They scattered, remember? But Luke tells us, in the crowds of the people who gathered to watch the spectacle of his crucifixion, Luke chapter 23, verse 49. The women, listen, the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Luke tells us that the women who had come with him from Galilee followed him all the way to the tomb where his lifeless body was laid to rest that awful Friday. Luke tells us that first Easter morning, who went to the tomb first? It was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them. 
And they went and told the apostles. You see, Luke wants us to see in these women examples of what it means to humbly receive the word of Christ, to believe it, and to persist in it. Dr. Luke, I love the fact that he's giving us all these details about these women, right? He's telling us who Chusa is and who they worked for. They worked in Herod's household. All these specifics. You're thinking, why is he doing that? Well, it's another way that Dr. Luke is reminding us that this is a historical investigation that he's doing. It's as if he's putting all these details down because he wants his readers to say, hey, you don't have to take my word for it. Go talk to these women. If you don't believe me, ask these women. And what he's telling us through these women is that we, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, must listen to his word faithfully. That's number one. Number two, and finally, Jesus is calling us in this passage to listen to his word persistently. Where do I get the word persistent from? Well, just look at the end of the parable. Look down at verse 15. We're going to get here in a minute. I just want you to see where I'm getting this from. As he's summing up the parable of the sower, notice what Jesus emphasizes the response of a good and honest heart is. He says there, hold it fast with an an honest and good heart and bear fruit with, your Bible may say, patience. It's the word persistence. So Jesus, the mark of a heart that's been transformed by his grace, who receives his word and bears fruit for his glory, is they don't just hear the word once. They hear it, they hold fast to it, and they listen to it persistently. Okay? Now, that's where we're going. Now, how do we get there? Notice in verse 4, Jesus tells us, or Luke tells us, there was a great crowd. A great crowd had followed the Savior. They're thronging from the, the towns to come here and preach. And then at this point, Jesus gives the parable that's really the parable of parables. Over in Mark 4.13, Jesus says that if you don't understand this parable, you will not understand any of the other parables. So this parable is like the key that unlocks all the other parables. This is the the parable of the sower. Some have called it the parable of the sower. Some people call it the parable of the soils. I'm going to argue it's the parable of of the heart, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let me just explain this briefly. You all have heard this. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon on the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. No, don't be, don't be ashamed. Raise them high. Okay, y'all can leave. No, I'm just kidding. No, you don't have to leave. This is a very common passage. And what I've been praying all week is that we don't treat it with contempt. We've heard this. Many of us have heard this so many times. It's easy to check out. So here's the point. This is, this is going to be a real test on your hearing. Okay. So let's jump in. This is a description Jesus gives in this parable of a sower who goes out in his field to sow seed. He throws the seeds on the ground. He casts them all around. And these seeds, they fall in four different places, four different kinds of soil, as it were. Some fall on uh, the, the path. Some seeds fall on the rocky soil. Some seeds fall among the weeds. 
and some of the seed falls on good soil. And Jesus sums up by basically saying whether or not this seed grows and bears a huge harvest all depends on the soil where the seed lands. Now, this is very straightforward. You do not have to have a a, a PhD in agronomy. You don't need to be from Nebraska or Iowa to understand this imagery. Um, But here's the question. What does this parable mean? What does this parable have to do with the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was just preaching? What does it mean? Now, this is shocking. Instead of explaining to the crowds, here's the parable. Now, here's what it means. Jesus turns his back on the crowds. Now, Jesus clearly has not read modern church growth, seeker-friendly books on how to build a a big crowd, build a big church. The crowds are there. They're wanting to hear him. And Jesus turns, and we're told, look what he says. Verse 9, he turns from the crowds, and he only discloses the meaning of the parable to his disciples. What? Verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what the parable mean, what does this mean? He said, verse 10, to you, the you is fronted for emphasis. It's only to you that it has been given. That is from God. To know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables. And here's the purpose. So that, and then he quotes from Isaiah 6. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Wow. Perhaps you've heard it said before that Jesus taught in parables because they were so accessible and down to earth and easy to understand. And that is true. But Jesus tells us in this passage that his purpose in telling parables wasn't merely to reveal, but also to conceal. Jesus has been preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching, and there were many in that crowd that just came out to hear some more preaching. And through this parable, Jesus is sifting the crowd. Jesus reveals And he conceals the message of the kingdom. And he only discloses the meaning of the parable to those who are in fellowship with him. He explains the meaning of the parable to those who are with him, to those who are trusting in him, to those who are seeking to know him and to do his will. But everyone else, he conceals the message. Remember in Isaiah 6, from, that's where the passage is quoted from. Remember what Isaiah's ministry was? Remember? He sees this vision of the Lord high and lifted up and holy in his temple. And Isaiah responds, here I am, Lord, send me. Remember that? You'll wake up now. Isaiah, you nod, nod if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, Debbie, Deb, okay, there we go. Deb's, Deb's with me. I'm talking to you, Deb. Isaiah 6, here I am, send me. And then God says, guess what, Isaiah? I'm going to send you and no one's going to believe. (laughs) You're going to go and preach and they won't hear and they won't believe and they will reject you. 
That's kind of a downer. But that's what Jesus is quoting from. He's saying, just like, just like Isaiah was sent to a crooked and perverse generation, and just like Israel hardened their hearts and didn't hear the prophet's message in the same way, I'm casting this seed to Israel. And so Jesus is preaching just like Isaiah's preaching functions, not only as a summons to believe, but it also is a form of judgment on those who don't believe. Now, I want you to just take for a minute. Look at these stained glass windows. Have you ever noticed these stained glass windows before? They were here when I came. I did not put these in. They're, they're here. Now, look, look, at the, look at the symbols, wherever pew you're on. All of these stained glass windows depict some event or uh, instance of the life of our Lord in his ministry. You see that? Now, when you're looking at these windows, you could probably figure out exactly what it's depicting, what scene it is, what, what the, the meaning of these windows are. But that's because you're inside the church. And that's because the lights are on and it's sunny outside. Have you ever walked down Franconia Road at night and looked at this building? The windows aren't lit up. You can't tell what's on them. And even if you could, it's dark. And it's backwards. Because you're looking at it from the outside. I think that's a, a helpful way to understand the parable. If you want to stay outside and try to figure this, these things out, it's going to be dark. It'll be backwards. You won't understand. The only way to understand is to come to Christ, to come to him and he will illuminate it for you from the inside. You can't stand off in the crowds and expect an answer. You have to draw near to Jesus by faith and sit at his feet and listen to his words. When Jesus speaks, he speaks the word of God. Did you notice in verse 11, Jesus says that the sower sows the seed, which is, notice, the word of God. Now, I said before, this is called the parable of the sower. I think a better title would be a, the parable of the soils. I think an even better title is a, the parable of the hearts. Because if you press this passage and you ask, what is he really talking about? What are the soils those soils are emblematic of human hearts. You'll notice at the very beginning of the passage and the very end, there's a reference to the heart. And I think that helps us understand what's going on here. These four soils are four different hearts that respond to God's word in a variety of ways. And in the conclusion of our time, I want us to just take each one of these soils, each one of these hearts and think about it together. Verse 12 there's the path soil or the hard heart. The path soil or the hard heart. The path soil, it's where people have walked along the path. It's pressed down. It's hard. And when the sower sows the seed, Jesus says the seed just lands on top of that packed down path soil. And it doesn't go any deeper. It just stays on the surface. And eventually a bird comes and plucks 
the seed away. And Jesus interprets this for us. Don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And then, this is frightening, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This isn't like a carnal Christian who's just living for the world. This is, this is someone who hears the word. It lands on their hard heart. It makes no difference in their lives. And Satan comes and plucks that word away. Jesus isn't just making up the image of a hardened heart. He's drawing it from the Old Testament scriptures. You can write this verse down. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 11 to 12. Listen to how Zechariah describes the hardness of heart that the stubborn and unbelieving Israelites had. He says that their hearts were diamond hard. Zechariah 7. They refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears so that they might not hear, they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the prophets. That's frightening, isn't it? What could be worse than being within the sound of the word of God And having a diamond hard heart. The word doesn't get beyond the surface. Satan knows that God's word's powerful to change any heart. So he comes and plucks the word away. Friend, have you ever thought about how much spiritual warfare goes into simply reading and listening and hearing God's word? Did any of you on the way into the church today say, God Forbid that Satan should pluck this word that I'm about to hear. Thomas Manton was a faithful minister in England. This is what he said about hardness of heart. He said this, quote, hardness of heart grows on us more and more. If we let it alone. First, we grow careless. We don't care to hear what God says. Then we refuse to obey what we've heard. And then finally, we grow sermon proof. We can hear, but we have no benefit at all. And we are praying for the devil. Are you sermon proof this morning? Jesus is explaining this parable to who? Who, did he, who, did, who were we told he was explaining this to? Say it loud. The twelve, the disciples. Jesus is explaining this parable to Judas Iscariot. If you want a haunting illustration of a diamond hard heart, Judas Iscariot's standing right there. Judas Iscariot heard all of Christ's sermons. He heard 
all of his sermons. But over those three years, Iscariot, he grew careless. He refused to obey. And his heart became diamond hard and sermon proof. And he sold the son of God for 30 pieces of silver. And so Jesus says to us this morning, today, if you hear his voice, beloved, do not harden your heart. I'm often, after the service, people will say things to me about the sermon. And I'm not trying to fish for compliments. And I'm telling you that if you ever tell me, hey, good sermon, the devil already told me that before you said it. So my pride did too. So you don't have to tell me that. But one of the things that I'm always mindful of is this. And again, I appreciate any encouraging words, but I'm often mindful of this. Whatever something is preached faithfully, I know I'm going to give an account on the last day for what I've preached. And even if the sermon wasn't that great, you're going to give an account for having heard it. So friends, we're not playing games when we gather to hear God's word. His word will always accomplish the purposes for which it's in it. So friend, don't, don't show up gathering with God's people and make this a small or trite thing. This is the market day for the soul. And so if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Secondly, you notice there the rocky soil or the shallow heart. Do you see that? Verse 13, Jesus describes some seed that falls on the rock and there's no moisture. And this is kind of the way the Roarchs approach plants. We always forget to water them and they die, right? It, it, they, they wither away. Verse 13, these are the ones on the rock. They hear the word. They receive it with joy. But Jesus says they have no what? They have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. Brothers and sisters, I said earlier that we have to hear faithfully, but we also have to listen to God's word, what? Persistently. Genuine believers persist in the faith. They don't fall away. How often have you known maybe someone you're close to? They hear the word of God. They receive it joyfully. They're on fire, but then after a while, they just walk away like nothing happened. They only believe for a little while. They profess a belief, but then it's evidence that they don't love God at all. They have what James calls vain faith or demon faith. They listen to God's word, but they don't keep on listening. They don't persist. And that's a haunting thing that not all who initially receive the word and outside they, they give impressions of joy, they won't in, all endure to the end. Now, God forbid, brothers and sisters, that we would be a church that is shallow, that's a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be a mile wide and, and a mile deep. We don't want to be a shallow church with shallow preaching and shallow thinking and shallow hearts. If you want shallowness, just go online. <laughs> There's plenty of shallowness, right? 
God forbid that we would be a shallow, superficial, Sunday morning only Christianity church. If we are going to survive the times in which we live and the testing that is here and is coming, you can't be shallow, brothers and sisters. A time of testing and hardship, a time of struggle. If there's no root, your joy will wither away. Positively, receive this not as a rebuke, but an invitation. This week I read this in a, in a, a new book by Dane Ortland, who wrote the book, Gentle and Lowly? That's it. can remember it. He wrote a book called Deeper. Listen to what he says. This is, don't receive this as a rebuke. Receive this This summons to leave shallowness to jump into the deep end. Listen to what he says, quote, consider the possibility that your current mental idea of Jesus is the tip of the iceberg. Consider that there are wondrous depths to Christ, realities about Christ that are still awaiting discovery. Open yourself up to the possibility that one of the reason you only see modest growth in your life is that you're following a junior varsity Jesus, a reduced Jesus, a predictable Jesus, end quote. Friend, there are unsearchable riches of wisdom and knowledge and grace and love that are hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ. It will take us eternity to praise him because we can't get to the bottom of his greatness. So don't 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 be satisfied with simply a shallow understanding. Plunge yourself into the glorious depths of his word. Third, notice the thorny soil or the infested heart. Verse 14. Jesus describes some seed that falls among the thorns and the thorns grow up. They choke out the seed. And he says in verse 14, he interprets it for us. As for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares. Notice this. Not a time of testing. That was earlier. Now it's cares and riches and the pleasures of life. Riches and cares and pleasures. And Jesus says their fruit does not mature. So brothers and sisters, we need to be on our guard during bad times, hard times, times of testing, but also good times. Um, J.C. Ryle once said that open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. Unless we watch and pray, there are thousands of things that can smother every sermon you hear. So let me ask you, Christian, is there something in your life this morning that's smothering or muting God's word? It could just be the fact that there are things in your life that are distracting you from making priorities, time to read and listen and grow in your understanding of God's word. It could be good things. It could be focusing on your job. It could be focusing on advancing your career. It could be starting a business. It could be focusing on a relationship. There's lots of good things that can get in the way of the best thing. Remember in a few chapters what we read about Mary and Martha? 
Martha was doing fine things, right? But the one who did the good portion was the one who sat at Christ's feet and listened to his word. Fourth, the good soil or the good heart. Jesus concludes verse 15, this parable with the good soil, the seed that falls on the good soil. And notice it grew an incredible crop. If you had an eight to 10 uh, uh, fold, that would be great. Jesus says a hundred fold. This is incredible. And as for those, verse 15, in good soil are those who hearing the word, notice they hold it fast in a good and honest heart and they bear fruit with patience. Now, this is an incredibly fruitful crop. And notice that's those who persist in listening to God's word. They continue in it. They don't just go, you know, have you heard the phrase in one ear and out the other? No, they, they hear it. They, they meditate on it. They, they memorize it. They seek to apply it and put it into practice. They bear fruit. It changes them. Think about it. Think about as you leave today, Lord willing, you'll go to the potluck. We're going to have the Lord's Supper here in a minute. We'll go to the potluck afterwards. On your way home, be thinking, what's one thing I learned this morning or was reminded of this morning that's going to change my life and the way I do things tomorrow morning? One thing. If you do that every Sunday for a year, that's 52 things, right? So what about you? Do you see yourself in any of these four soils this morning? I want to give you just a few brief applications before we close and go to the table together. We as a church want to prioritize the faithful and persistent hearing and studying and meditating and applying of God's word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that love to God begins with listening to his word. Do you want to love God more this morning? Where do you begin in loving God more? You love God by listening to his word. Martin Luther once said that the ears are the only organ of the Christian. Isn't that beautiful? Faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So what are some things you can do practically and as a church to help us faithfully and persistently hear God's word? Here's, here's just some quick, quick uh, to do, some application. Number one. Don't show up here this mor- in the morning on Sunday morning not having read whatever's going to be preached on. So find out from the sermon card or from the website what's the sermon going to be. Um, we post the, the, the bulletin online so you can actually read the songs we're going to sing and the scriptures that we're going to read. Prepare beforehand. Think of it as you're working the soil of your heart and opening it up a little bit before you actually show up and hear the word read, preached, and prayed and sung. Secondly, after the service, over lunch maybe, talk about what you've learned. Don't just talk about the next football game, but talk about what you've learned. Talk about areas that you're struggling in. Talk about, hey, I need help with this. Ask questions of others. Ask for prayer, accountability, if you've been neglecting the reading of his word. You can pray for the whoever's going to be teaching, right? If everybody was praying in this church, these sermons would be a lot better. Amen? Pray often that when you hear God's word, that you have an expectation that God himself will speak to you. Here's another thing. Go to bed early on Saturday night. You can't believe even with mass, I can tell some of you are yawning, 
right? So go, go to bed earlier. If you, if you leave, if you go to bed earlier and you leave your heart with the Lord Saturday night, it'll be there with when you wake up on Sunday morning and you'll have energy to focus and listen. If some of you doze off, take notes. Some of you, that may help. Take notes. Um, sometimes writing things down can fo- focus your, your attention. Um, consider joining one of our community groups. That's a great opportunity to get with others throughout the week to be able to apply and share in God's word. Come to Sunday school at 930. Sunday is like a family meal where we feed from God's word together. And so those are just some really brief applications. Let me close with this. I remember a story that I read years ago that was super encouraging about not only preaching, but about the power of God's word that this so this parable illustrates. There was a man named Luke Short who was a farmer in New England, and he got to be 100 years old. He had, he had been born in England. He had come over to America, and he was out in his field with a, a tool. He was turning some stones in his field, kind of getting the ground ready to plant. And this was in, he'd been a boy, a little boy in Dartmouth, England, Before he'd sailed to America, he recalled a sermon when he was 100 years old, a sermon that he had heard as a boy preached by John Flavel 85 years earlier. He had not thought about it for 85 years. Now, Luke Short wasn't a Christian at the time. But suddenly, he recalled the message that he'd heard 85 years earlier. And at that moment, at the age of 100, while he was standing in his field, God saved Luke Short. See, the power isn't in the preacher. It's in the word. The power lies in the word. And the very one who was preaching this sermon, he went to the cross, remember? Remember? And he preached even from the cross. He preached words like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And there were two men crucified with him on his right and left. One mocked him, rejected him. But another one, another criminal, defended him. Remember? And after listening to Jesus' last sermon, that man said, remember me. When you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. You see, the crowds had gone. But this man had heard God's word, even as he died on the cross. He heard the words in a good and honest heart. And God saved him. So brothers and sisters, put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The one who died on Calvary purchased the new covenant with his blood. And those covenant promises say, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. 
He who has ears, let him hear. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, grant us ears to hear and hearts to receive and lives that bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.